The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Chapter 7 In the House of Tom Bombadil Part 1 The four hobbits stepped over the wide stone threshold and stood still, blinking. They were in a long, low room filled with the light of lamps swinging from the beams of the roof. And on the table of dark, polished wood stood many candles, tall and yellow, burning brightly. In a chair at the far side of the room, facing the outer door, sat a woman. Her long yellow hair rippled down her shoulders. Her gown was green, green as young reeds, shot with silver like beads of dew. And her belt was of gold, shaped like a chain of flag lilies set with the pale blue eyes of forget-me-nots. About her feet in wide vessels of green and brown earthenware, white water lilies were floating so that she seemed to be enthroned in the midst of a pool. Inta, good guests, she said, and as she spoke they knew that it was her clear voice they had heard singing. They came a few timid steps further into the room and began to bow low, feeling strangely surprised and awkward, like folk that, knocking at a cottage door to beg for a drink of water, have been answered by a fair young elf queen clad in living flowers. But before they could say anything, she sprang lightly up and over the lily bowls and ran laughing towards them. And as she ran, her gown rustled softly like the wind in the flowering borders of a river. Come, dear folk, she said, taking Frodo by the hand. Laugh and be merry. I am Goldbraith, daughter of the river. Then lightly she passed them, and closing the door, she turned her back to it, with her white arms spread out across it. Let us shut out the night, she said, for you are still afraid, perhaps, of mist, and tree shadows, and deep water, and untamed things. Fear not, for tonight you are under the roof of Tom Bombadil. The hobbits looked at her in wonder, and she looked at each of them and smiled. Fair Lady Goldbury, said Frodo at last, feeling his heart moved with a joy that he did not understand. He stood as he had at times stood unenchanted by fair elven voices, but the spell that was now laid upon him was different. Less keen and lofty was the delight, but deeper and nearer to mortal hearts. Marvelous and yet not strange. Fair Lady Goldbury, he said again, now the joy that is hidden in the songs we heard is made plain to me. O slender as a willow wand, O clearer than clear water, A reed by the living pool, fair river daughter, O springtime and summertime and spring again after, O wind in the waterfall and leaves with laughter. Suddenly he stopped and stammered, overcome with surprise to hear himself saying such things. But Goldberry laughed. Welcome, she said. I had not heard that folk of the Shire were so sweet-tongued. But I see that you are an elf friend. The light in your eyes and the ring in your voice tells it. This is a merry meeting. Sit now and wait for the master of the house. He will not be long. He is tending your tired beasts. The hobbits sat down gladly in low rush seateds 
chairs, while Goldberry busied herself about the table, and their eyes followed her, for the slender grace of her movement filled them with quiet delight. From somewhere behind the house came the sound of singing. Every now and again they caught among many a dariole and a meridole and a ring-a-ding-dillo, the repeated words. Old Tom Bombadil is a merry fellow, bright blue his jacket is and his boots are yellow. Fair lady, said Frodo again after a while, tell me, if my asking does not seem foolish, who is Tom Bombadil? He is, said Goldberry, staying her swift movements and smiling. Frodo looked at her questioningly. He is as you have seen him, she said in answer to his look. He is the master of wood, water, and hill. Then all this strange land belongs to him. No, indeed, she answered, and her smile faded. That would indeed be a burden, she added, in a low voice as if to herself. The trees and the grasses and all things growing and living in the land belong each to themselves. Tom Bombadil is the master. No one has ever caught old Tom walking in the forest, wading in the water, leaping on the hilltops under night, and shudder. He has no fear. Tom Bombadil is master. The door opened, and in came Tom Bombadil. He had now no hat, and his thick brown hair was crowned with autumn leaves. He laughed, and going to Goldberry, took her hand. Here's my pretty lady, he said, bowing to the hobbit. Here's my Goldberry clothed all in silver green, with flowers in her girdle. Is the table laden? I see yellow cream and honeycomb, and white bread and butter, milk, cheese and green herbs, and ripe berries gathered. Is that enough for us? Or is the supper ready? It is, said Goldberry, but the guests perhaps are not. Tom clapped his hands and cried, Tom, Tom, your guests are tired, and you had ne'er forgotten. Come now, my merry friends, and Tom will refresh you. You shall clean grimy hands and wash your weary faces. Cast off your muddy cloaks and comb out your tangles. He opened the door and they followed him down a short passage and round a sharp turn. They came to a low room with a sloping roof, a penthouse it seemed, built on the north end of the house. Its walls were of clean stone, but they were mostly covered with green hanging mats and yellow curtains. The floor was flagged and strewn with fresh green rushes. There were four deep mattresses, each piled with white blankets laid on the floor along one side. Against the opposite wall was a long bench laden with wide earthenware basins, and beside it stood brown ewers filled with water, some cold, some steaming hot. There were soft green slippers set ready beside each bed. Before long, washed and refreshed, the hobbits were seated at the table, two on each end, while at the either end sat Goldberry and the master. It was a long and merry meal. Though the hobbits ate, as only famished hobbits can eat, there was no lack. 
The drink in their drinking bowls seemed to be clear, cold water, yet it went to their hearts like wine and set free their voices. The guests became suddenly aware that they were singing merrily, as if it was easier and more natural than talking. At last, Tom and Goldberry rose and cleared the table swiftly. The guests were commanded to sit quiet and were set in chairs, each with a footstool to his tired feet. There was a fire in the wide hearth before them, and it was burning with a sweet smell, as if it were built of apple wood. When everything was set in order, all the lights in the room were put out, except one lamp and a pair of candles at each end of the chimney shelf. Then Goldberry came and stood before them, holding a candle, and she wished each of them a good night and deep sleep. Have peace now, she said. Until the morning, heed no nightly noises, for nothing passes door and window here save moonlight and starlight and the wind off the hilltop. Good night. She passed out of the room with a glimmer and a rustle. The sound of her footsteps was like a stream falling gently away downhill over cool stones in the quiet of night. Tom sat on a while beside them in silence while each of them tried to muster the courage to ask one of the many questions he had meant to ask at supper. Sleep gathered on their eyelids. At last Frodo spoke. Did you hear me calling, Master, or was it just chance that brought you at that moment? Tom stirred like a man shaken out of a pleasant dream. Eh, what? he said. Did I hear you calling? Nay, I did not hear. I was busy singing. Chance brought me then, if chance you call it. It was no plan of mine, though I was waiting for you. We heard news of you and learned that you were wandering. We guessed you'd become ere long down to the water. All paths lead that way down to Withywindle. Old Grey Willowman, he's a mighty singer, and it's hard for little folk to escape his cunning mazes. But Tom had an errand there. But he dared not hinder. Tom nodded as if sleep was taking him again. But he went on in a soft singing voice. For he had an errand there, gathering water lilies, green leaves and lily whites to please my pretty lady. At last, ere the year's end to keep him from the winter, the flower by her pretty feet till the snows were melted. Each year at summer's end I go to find them far. In a wide pool, deep and clear, far down with the window. There they open first in spring, and there they linger latest. At the pool long ago I found the river daughter. Fair young Goldberry sitting in the rushes. Sweet was her singing then, and her heart was beating. He opened his eyes and looked at them with a sudden glint of blue. And that proves well for you. For now I shall no longer go down deep again along the forest water. Not while the year is old, nor shall I be passing old man Willow's house this side of springtime. Not till the merry spring when the river daughter dances down the withy path to bathe in the water. He fell asleep again, but Frodo could not help asking one more question, the one he most desired to have answered. Tell me, master, he said, about the willow man. What is he? 
I've never heard of him before. No, don't, said Mary and Pippin together, sitting suddenly upright. Not now, not until the morning. That is right, said the old man. Now is the time for resting. Some things are ill to hear when the world's in shadow. Sleep till the morning light, rest on the pillow. Heed no nightly noise, fear no grey willow. And with that, he took down the lamp and blew it out, and grasping a candle in either hand, he led them out of the room. Their mattresses and pillows were soft as down, and the blankets were of white wool. They had hardly laid themselves on the deep beds and drawn the light covers over them before they were asleep. In the dead of night, Rhoda lay in a dream without light. Then he saw the young moon rising. Under its thin light, there loomed before him a black wall of rock, pierced by a dark arch like a great gate. It seemed to Frodo that he was lifted up, and passing over, he saw that the rock wall was a circle of hills, and that within it was a plain, and in the midst of the plain stood a pinnacle of stone, a vast tower, but not made by hands. On its top stood the figure of a man, the moon, as it rose, seemed to hang for a moment before his head and glistened in his white hair as the wind stirred it. Up from the dark plain below came the cry of fell voices and the howling of many wolves. Suddenly a shadow, like the shape of great wings, passed across the moon. The figure lifted his arms and a light flashed from the staff that he wielded. A mighty eagle swept down and bore him away. The voices wailed, and the wolves yet hammered. There was a noise, like a strong wind blowing, and on it was borne the sound of hoofs galloping, galloping, galloping from the east. Black riders, thought Frodo as he wakened, with the sound of the hoofs still echoing in his mind. He wondered if he would ever again have the courage to leave the safety of these stone walls. He lay motionless still listening. But all was now silent, and at last he turned and fell asleep again, or wandered into some other unremembered dream. At his side, Pippin lay dreaming pleasantly, but a change came over his dreams, and he turned and groaned. Suddenly, he woke, or thought he had waked, and yet still heard in the darkness the sound that had disturbed his dream. noise was like branches spreading in the wind, twig fingers scraping wall and window. Creak, creak, creak. He wondered if there were willow trees close to the house, and then suddenly he had a dreadful feeling that he was not in an ordinary house at all, but inside the willow and listening to that horrible dry creaking voice laughing at him again. He sat up and felt the soft pillows yield to his hands, and he lay down again relieved. He seemed to hear the echo of words in his ears. Fear not, have peace until the morning. Heed no nightly noises. Then he went to sleep again. It was the sound of water that Mary heard falling into his quiet sleep, water streaming down gently and then spreading, spreading irresistibly all round the house into a dark shoreless pool. 
It gurgled under the walls and was rising slowly but surely. I shall be drowned, he thought. It'll find its way in and then I shall drown. He felt that he was lying in a soft, slimy bog and springing up, he set his foot on the corner of a cold, hard flagstone. Then he remembered where he was and lay down again. He seemed to hear or remember hearing Nothing passes the doors or windows save moonlight and starlight and the wind off the hilltop. A little breath of sweet air moved the curtain. He breathed deep and fell asleep again. As far as he could remember, Sam slept through the night in deep content, if logs are content. They woke up all four at once in the morning light. Tom was moving about the room, whistling like a starling. When he heard them stir, he clapped his hands and cried, Hey, come merry dole, dairy dole, my hearties. He drew back the yellow curtains, and the hobbit saw that these had covered the windows at either end of the room, one looking east and the other looking west. They leapt up refreshed. Frodo ran to the eastern window and found himself looking into a kitchen garden gray with dew. He had half expected to see turf right up to the walls, turf all pocked with hoof prints. Actually, his view was screened by a tall line of beams on poles, but above and far beyond them the gray top of the hill loomed up against the sunrise. It was as pale morning. In the east, behind long clouds like lines of soiled wool, stained red at the edges, lay glimmering deeps of yellow. The sky spoke of rain to come, but the light was broadening quickly, and the red flowers on the beans began to glow against the wet green leaves. Pippin looked out of the western window, down into a pool of mist. The forest was hidden under a fog. It was like looking down onto a sloping cloud roof from above. There was a fold or channel where the mist was broken into many plumes and billows. The valley of the withy window. The stream ran down the hill on the left and vanished into the white shadows. Near at hand was a flower garden, an eclipsed hedge, silver netted, and beyond that gray shaven grass, pale with dewdrops. There was no willow tree to be seen. Good morning, merry friends, cried Tom, opening the eastern window wide. A cool air flowed in. It had a rainy smell. Sun won't show her face much today, I'm thinking. I've been walking wide, leaping on the hilltops, since the great dawn began, noising wind and weather, wet grass underfoot, wet sky above me. I wakened Goldberry singing under window, but not wakes hard folk in the early morning. In the night, little folk wake up in the darkness and sleep after light has come. Ring-a-ding-diddle, wake now, my merry friends. Forget the nightly noises. Ring-a-ding-a-diddle-dell, dairy-dell, my hearties. If you come soon, you'll find breakfast on the table. If you come late, you'll get grass and rainwater. Needless to say, not that Tom's threat sounded very serious. The hobbits came soon and left the table late, and only when it was beginning to look rather empty. Neither Tom nor Goldberry were there. 
Tom could be heard about the house, clattering in the kitchen and up and down the stairs, and singing here and there outside. The room looked westward over the mist-clouded valley, and the window was open. Water dripped down from the thatched eaves above. Before they had finished breakfast, the clouds had joined into an unbroken roof, and a straight gray rain came softly and steadily down. Behind its deep curtain, the forest was completely veiled. As they looked out of the window, there came falling gently as if it was falling down the rain out of the sky, the clear voice of Goldbury singing up above them. They could hear few words, but it seemed plain to them that the song was a rain song, as sweet as showers on dry hills, that told the tale of a river from the spring in the highlands to the sea far below. The hobbits listened with delight, and Frodo was glad in his heart and blessed the kindly weather, because it delayed them from departing. Thought of going had been heavy upon him from the moment he awoke, but he guessed now that they would not go further that day. <laughs>